Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, how it enlightens us, how it is a light unto our paths, and it gives us wisdom, provides for us understanding. Help us to fall in love with it, that we don't want to be very far from it, that we want to meditate on it, that we want to chew it over, so to speak, Lord, and digest it. Help it to become part of us. And we know that in doing so, we will be blessed no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, whether in trouble or in peace. And so, Father, we pray that you would accomplish this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you know that this weekend is Passover. And you might think, well, wait, wasn't Easter like a month ago? And it was a month ago. And just in case you didn't know this, some of you may not have had a clue, and that's okay because none of us really celebrate Passover, but that's when Jesus actually went to the cross. That is when they celebrate in the Old Testament that we just went through a few weeks ago, this idea of slaughtering the lamb and putting its blood on the doorpost and on the lintel and the the spirit of death, the angel of death, passes over the house. And that just took place in Exodus, but it's this weekend for the Jews that is the Passover. And some people have the question, well, why is that the case? The early church fathers were kind of uh, in a conundrum or a dilemma of what to do with that because the Jewish calendar is based on the moon and the uh, calendar that we use is based on the sun. And according to the equinox that takes place on March 21st, before or after that, when the full moon appears, that helps determine when Easter takes place. But for the Jews, they have to add every once in a while an additional month. Where we add a leap day in a leap year, they add an additional month. And so it can kick off their Passover to about 30 days after Easter. And that's why it's taking place. And, you know, the celebration of Easter, we recognize the resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ at that time. Well, some people might say, well, why isn't it the day that we do that, that we actually look forward to that day? Well, that's the reason why. It's just because the church... Do we follow the Jewish calendar? Do we not follow the Jewish calendar? How are we going to do this? It's, and it's like Christmas. My wife and I were talking about this. Jesus was not born on December 25th, but that's when we recognize his birth. He was probably born March, April, May, somewhere in there. He was born in the springtime. And we know that because the shepherds were in their fields at night, and they are only in their fields at night during the springtime. So hopefully that resolves it if you had that question a little bit for you. But we are currently in the book of Exodus chapter 16, and if you'd like to turn there, that would be great. We just finished up, of course, Exodus chapter 15, and it was full of praise and worship. It was a time where both Moses and Miriam, his sister, they, his sister Miriam grabbed her tambourine and her and the ladies started singing, I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider fell into the sea. And we've been singing that for a few weeks. And that's what they were doing. But then they had to walk for three days and they didn't have any water. And because they didn't have any water, the multitudes began to complain a little bit. They began to 
mutter between their teeth this idea of grumbling we are going to see manifested in the next chapter. Now, maybe you have a propensity to complain, to grumble. Now, I want to give you an example of what grumbling sounds like, but if there's two to three million people doing it. So I'm going to give you an exercise. I want you... Do you, uh, for those of you who are older, remember the old black and white Popeyes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what would he do? That's what he'd do, right? Okay, that's what I want you to do. I want you to keep your teeth together. I want you to just listen. Don't laugh. I want you to just listen. And I want everybody to do this. Okay, ready? Count of three. One, two, three. That's what the multitude was doing. And Popeye was always on edge, you know, a little bit. And the people, uh, the Israelites, they were complaining. First, there was no water. Then, when they found the water, the water was brackish. It was not fit to drink. And so when they got on that, you know, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do that one more time. I'm going to put my hand here. And then when the Israelites are going to the water, I'm going to kick my hand up here and I want you to increase the volume, but don't separate your teeth. All right? So, one, two, three. Good. (laughs) That's what the Israelites were doing. Like, whoa, we can't even drink this stuff. And so they're just beside themselves. And here's Moses and Aaron. What are we supposed to do here? What's going on? And so the Lord says, all right, just get this piece of wood, throw the piece of wood into the water, and it's going to become drinkable. And so that happened. And you would think by that time, after seeing all the miracles and the plagues through the nation that, of Egypt when they were there, and then the deliverance through the Red Sea, they wouldn't be grumbling at all. But that's what they fell into, and they fell into it in a big way. And I believe... As you go through the text here, God wants us to focus on it. Now, when you're doing inductive Bible study, what they tell you to do is read the passage. One way of saying it is don't read a verse, which means don't read a single verse. You're supposed to keep it in context. You're supposed to read before and you're supposed to read after. And you're supposed to keep in mind the context of the chapter, the context of the book, inside the context of the Bible. And if you do that, when you go to interpret what's going on, God reveals things. Also, he wants you to take note of words that repeat And the one word that repeats six times in just a few verses in chapter 16 is grumbling. That the people were given to grumbling. They were not satisfied in any way. And if you were to do a little more study on this, it seems as if in Numbers chapter 11, the people who were given to the grumbling were the Egyptians that saw God move in Egypt and decided to go with the Jews. They were the ones that started to complain and murmur and backbite and slander Moses and Aaron, and then it started going through the crowd. And by the way, that's how it happens. There usually is one person 
who is dissatisfied. And we've had that in the church before. I don't know of any of that that is going on now, but we've had it in the church before where in the Sunday school, somebody would be complaining about this, that, and the other thing. And finally, uh, there were some people that said, you know, if it's not working for you, maybe you ought to find somewhere else. Maybe you ought to just pick up to where you can find that perfect church and you can fold right in and everything will be just a bed of roses for you. And sometimes you have to do that when people, when you talk to them, you try to encourage them not to complain. And you guys know which verse in the New Testament says do everything without complaining or arguing, right? What verse is that? Philippians 2.14. <laughs> That's good. Did you hear that? Philippians 2.14. God does not want us to complain. Now, I need to give that a context too. Patty and I recently, we went away for a couple of days. And one thing I like to do when I get up in the morning is go get a good cup of coffee. You know, just nice and strong and bold in its flavor. A little bit of sweetness in there and chocolate. And, and I can sit there and just go, oh, yeah, that's good. You know, just drink it down. Who likes to do that? Well, raise your hand. Ah, you coffee drinkers, you know what that's like, right? And so when we went to this particular place, at first I tried the coffee in the hotel. I, uh, it tasted like Sanka. You know what Sanka is? And I, I tried to make it better, and it just wasn't working, but I wanted a cup of coffee so bad, I just, I tolerated it. You know, I put it down, and then I said, okay, let's go get a cup of coffee. So I went to this next place, and I go, okay, it says espresso, you have a mocha, okay, I'm going to get that. And I got the mocha, and I tasted it, and I go, oh, sweet. Oh, it's just, what are the coffee? And the, it just wasn't right. Now, if I was given to grumbling and complaining, I'd go right back in there and say, can you make me another one? This one wasn't very good, you know. You know, I could say things like that. I could have gone to the hotel lobby and said, you know, your coffee's really not very good. You only gave me one sugar? Come on, it's like a 64 ounce and you give me one sugar? What's the deal with that? And so I could just go on a rant of complaining. But I... I did make mention to Patty. I said, you know, it's just, it's not that good. That's all I said. And we moved on to the next place, and her coffee wasn't that good either. And we just looked at it, each other, and it's not that good. You can have an opinion. It's okay. You can think something is good or something is not good. It's when you go on the rant. Now, if I came back to you guys and say where we went and which coffee shops and don't go to those places and it's terrible and you want to avoid that like the plague, if you want a good cup of coffee, here's where you want... All that stuff, that's the bad part. Same thing in church. Well, I don't like this, I don't like that, and you're given to complaining, and if you plant that seed in somebody else's ear, what does it do? Usually it takes root. Why? Not because they're a bad person. It's because they're a bad person. It's because on the inside we have this fallen nature, and if you sow those seeds there, it's like the, the adult that is angry and bitter. If they have children that they raise and all the children ever hear is anger and bitterness, what are the children going to turn out like? They're going to be angry and they're going to be bitter. And it seems like it's almost generational that it goes through. And this was a generational grumbling that the Israelites experienced while they were in 
the wilderness. So there's a couple of themes here. One of them is the grumbling of the people, and the other one is the generosity of God. And I'm going to throw one more in there, and you'll see when we get there. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. When you become a believer, when you decide to follow God, there are a lot of things about the world, if you are in ignorance, seem to satisfy more. Uh, The individual that is not a believer that is in the world can be happy and content in their existence until they find out there's a problem with their existence, that there is the sin problem that they have to deal with. But as long as they're in ignorance, it's okay, it is what it is. It's fine. I'm just going to exist. Most of the people, that's how we exist. And once you become a believer, Satan tries to tempt you. You remember how good it was? Oh, yeah, you didn't have to worry about this guilt thing. You know, you didn't have to worry about not having a good time on the weekend, whether you're doing a medical marijuana thing. There was a guy out here last night, two guys walking down the street from the rodeo, and they stopped right here in the corner, and they were just puffing away. Yeah, man, rodeo. And they would keep on walking down the street, and a few others were walking by to the rodeo, and they had couple of brewskis you could tell the line on the sidewalk was not very straight as they were walking there and you see that and you think well that is it for them right who recently died that was a musical artist prince everybody's heard about it it was a big disruption in the world and i understand that his music has a lot of meaning for the individuals that grew up under it and so they relate those songs to particular times in their lives. We all do that. And there were, I heard a couple of women just weeping uh, over the fact that he had died and he had everything, right? Did you see his house, a picture of his house? It's like a compound. He has elevators in it. He has everything. I mean, the man had it all, kind of like Michael Jackson. He had it all and now it's gone. And the world looks at that stuff and says, this is what you need to strive for, but we cannot take it with us. You know, the sad thing about his life is he was a Jehovah Witness. And because of his performing, he did not get a badly needed double hip replacement because he was so hyper-energetic on the stage. His hips wore out, but he wouldn't do it because he wouldn't get a blood transfusion. He wouldn't make his life better simply for that. And that's part of the religious systems of the world. They will enslave you. And so his life was full of a lot of pain physically because of that. But Satan will come along and he will make everything appear like it's just a bed of roses and that's what you want to go for and that's what's going to satisfy. And in the end, none of it actually satisfies. And that's what the Egyptians were doing. We had enough to eat when we were back in Egypt. But they totally forget the hardship, the slavery, the burden, I'm sure the deaths that took place by the taskmasters. They just put that to the side. 
And it'd make more sense that it was the Egyptians. And that's a, another thing you want to look at. When you join yourself with somebody that is not like-minded, unity is everything in the body of Christ. God wants us to be unified. And when we are not unified, we are divided. Christ said, he who is not for me actively is against me. In other words, if you don't do anything for Christ, you're actually putting anchors in the sand going through the desert and you are impeding the progress of spiritual lives in other people. And so God says, be unified in everything. Be of like mind. Make sure we are not double-minded in whatever we do. God says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He's tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, which means if his doctrine is going back and forth, his behavior is going back and forth. And there's no solid direction in the individual's lives, whether it's a man or it's a woman. So Satan comes along and he makes sure that you remember the way that it was. And these people were willing to sacrifice their freedom for contentment and safety. And I dare say that that's where this country is going now. We're willing to sacrifice our freedom so that we can be taken care of and that they will keep us safe rather than taking our responsibility ourselves. In verse 4 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Now there is a word for this. It's called manna. And manna, roughly translated from the Hebrew, is what is it? Because what would happen, and we'll get to the story about this, the dew would fall, and when the dew would dry, this stuff would be on the rocks and on the plants. And they'd have to go out, and they would harvest it, and they were only supposed to get two ephahs. Now, two e one ephah is about two quarts. And you would, <coughs> excuse me, you would be out there, and you'd collect two quarts, and that was for yourself, and that was supposed to be for the day. That's what you would eat, right? And on the Sabbath day, as it was approaching, you were to collect double that amount for the Sabbath day because you weren't going to have any manna fall and collect on the ground and be able to eat it. And they were given instruction not to collect more. And if you collected more, it would end up rotting and become filled with maggots. And God was trying to show them they had to be in a daily trust relationship with God himself. God sent this bread from heaven. They were to collect it and eat it daily. Now, what time of day were they to collect it? In the morning. If it lasted till the day, it would dissipate. It would go away. It would begin to rot. They... they just couldn't collect it they were required to go in the morning now going on with this in verse 6 it says so Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him that's the first grumbling that's there uh, actually, the second one. Who are we that you should grumble against us, Moses said. 
you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat and in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. When the people started grumbling, they thought they were directing it towards Moses and Aaron. But God lets us know that because they were grumbling against the leaders, they were grumbling against God. It's like when you sin against somebody. Are you sinning against them or are you sinning against God? You sin against God. Like if the act of adultery is committed, do you actually sin against the person? Well, you do in a secondary sense, but primarily you are sinning against God, especially as a Christian. And God says he is to be number one. Whatever you do against your neighbor, you are doing against God. You are not acting in love, and God is love. And so here they are grumbling. And then Moses, in verse 9, say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? In other words, they said, manna, for they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they had measured it by the omer, he who had gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. And so this is what they did. The, the manna that was out there, it was white. It was white like a sheet. And it was kind of like a coriander in taste. It would almost be like a pastry made with oil. And it had a sweet flavor to it, if you think about pastries that you can go and get. And, and they would take those flakes and they would grind them up and they'd make manna bread. And they would probably take some quail and make a quail burger with the manna bread that was out there. <clears throat> but it only lasted so long. There was no refrigeration back then. And you were allowed to keep it for that one day. And by the way, this isn't the time that they were complaining. It happened a little bit later where all they wanted was meat. They were tired of bread. They were tired of the manna. That's all we eat is manna. Do you like guys like variety? Go to the store and see how much variety in the bread that is there. Have you ever seen those pictures of the guy just standing there looking at all the bread, just looking all confused because there's so many different kinds of bread? They had one kind of bread. That was it. And that's what they ate. They ate bread every single day, morning, noon, and night. If you guys remember Keith Green, Banana bread, manna burgers, manna souffle. You know, he was a, a musical artist and he sang about this. And they were thinking of all kinds of ways to make this manna. But in the end, they were not satisfied with it. And so they cried out at another time 
for some meat. And so God sent some more quail. And they took the quail and they busted the quail open and they started eating it raw. And when they ate it, it was coming out their noses. They were eating so much of it. They were so dissatisfied with the manna. And from a human standpoint, I get it. You know, what if you woke up every morning and you had dry cereal for the next 40 years for morning, noon, and night? Or you know what a scone is, right? If you had a scone morning, noon, and isn't there anything besides a scone that I can eat? Or whatever it is, you just pick one thing and that's what they were eating. Now with this, there's this idea, when did they have to get it? They had to get it in the morning. And they had to pick this stuff up called manna, and it was like bread, right? So does that make a connection with you? Uh, Bread? Who is the bread of life? Jesus Christ, right? I want you to turn over to John chapter 6, verse 30. (coughs) We'll be reading through... Verse 43. Now, this was so important. Of course, grumbling is mentioned six times. And they are grumbling for lack of food. And they get the manna. And they get the meat. And later on, we find out they really never stopped grumbling and complaining at all. And this was meant to make a connection to the New Testament. The bread of life, which they got in the Old Testament is the bread of life in the New Testament. That's what it was supposed to point to, which is Jesus Christ. It says in verse 30, So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Right? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who had given you the bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the manna in the Old Testament was supposed to direct them to Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. Just like the Israelites. They saw the provision of the manna, and yet they still did not believe. They did not trust in God. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father... My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. I will raise Him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble. You see the connection? It's just like repeating all over again about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can He say, I came down from heaven? And then Jesus says, Stop grumbling among yourselves. I mean, this is just a repeat here. The Jews, the Israelites in the wilderness, the bread came from heaven. They grumbled about that. Jesus is the bread of life. They grumbled about him. They were just not satisfied and they refused to believe. 
And so when we get this bread that, you know, first for us, it is the bread of life is salvation is what it is. But if we are supposed to go like Jews and collect the bread, right? We're supposed to go out and seek it. We're supposed to work for it, not for salvation, but for the bread of life, so to speak. We have to turn. We actually have to do something. We have to get up early and seek after the bread of life, just like they did. Now, there's a theme that runs through Scripture about this getting up early. Now, as I talk to you about this, I don't like this. Getting up early. I like my sleep. I like the pillow. I like the bed. How comfortable it is. It is just so wonderful. But getting up early, if you were a Jew in the wilderness and you didn't get up, what happened to you? You starved. You didn't get what you were supposed to have. And everybody had their own portion. So unless they were willing to give up their portion, you weren't going to have anything to eat. And guess who had to get up? Everybody. Everybody had to get up. I'm sure they trained the kids, get up. I'm not collecting some for you. Now, there were some times where they collected more, but they did have to share it. And if there were people who were infirmed, they couldn't get up and get it. So you collected some for them, but you were supposed to measure it out. And to each individual, they had a particular allotment of the bread. Jesus is the bread of life. When we pass out communion here, we take those wafers and we break them up and everybody has an equal portion. If you want a big piece, you can take a big piece. If you want a small piece, you can take a small piece. If you want a whole cracker, we could provide one for you. But it's this idea, you only need so much, right? And so if we seek after the true bread of life, when are we supposed to do it? If you remain consistent with the illustration, the example that is given to us, we're supposed to get up early in the morning and do this. Now, is that a law? No, it's not a law. You can starve if you want to. But God says repeatedly through Scripture that we're supposed to get up. We're not supposed to sleep in. We're not supposed to be like the Israelites who would have been lazy and they would have not eaten that day. Moses met God early in the morning to receive his word. In Exodus chapter 34, and we're not there, we're jumping ahead a little bit, Moses was commanded to chisel out two stone tablets. And he said to him, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and this is the second time he did it and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke be ready in the morning and by the way we'll get to why he broke those and then come up on Mount Sinai so he said be ready in the morning then come up to Mount Sinai present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain no one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain not even the flocks or the herds may graze in front of the mountain so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands and so if we're supposed to transfer from the Old Testament this illustration this example and we take it to the New Testament and say each one of us is Moses he's a believer right you're responsible for getting the word of God you get up in the morning you open up your Bible which you already have you could have a Fred Flintstone Bible that's made out of stone you know it may work that way but you have the word of God And you're supposed to present yourself with a bunch of people all by yourself. You're supposed to get up just you. And you're supposed to meet with God. You're supposed to say, 
God, I'm here. And Moses went alone. And that's what you're supposed to do. Get alone with God. Jesus did that. Jesus got alone with his father all the time. He went off in Gethsemane before his crucifixion. And he was alone with God. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be alone with him. Job made sacrifices early in the morning for his children. It says here in Job chapter 1 verse 4, his sons used to take turns holding parties, that's my word for it, feasts in their homes, and they would invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So not only are we supposed to get up early and receive the word, we're supposed to get up early and intercede for others. That's what Job is doing. Again, all these Old Testament stories are to transfer to us as far as our understanding of what we're supposed to do. God gave us these examples. The psalmist repeatedly wrote about meeting God in the morning. In Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. You guys remember that song? O Lord, in the morning, will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. That that is a scripture song that we used to sing all the time. And so you're supposed to get up in the morning. You're supposed to get the word of God in the morning. You're supposed to intercede for others. You are supposed to make your requests to God in the morning. Psalm 59 verse 16 says, but I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love. Have you ever gotten up in the morning real early and started singing? You know, Proverbs also says the man who blesses his neighbor loudly in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. So if you want to sing to the Lord in the morning, I think you should. I think you should sing praises to God in the morning. Whether it's, you know, under your breath or something, not enough to wake up your spouse. They're going to get up and say, what on earth are you doing in here? You know, they'll be a little irate and it wouldn't be good. But that's what the morning is for. It's for singing to the Lord. It's for making your requests. It's for interceding for others. It's for getting the word of God. You see the pattern that's going along here? It's called devotions. You're supposed to be devoted, absolute devotion and submissiveness to God. That's what God wants from us. This pattern continues. It says in Psalm 88 verse 13, But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. If you're having issues, if you're having problems, you're supposed to say, God, help me. I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? That's Psalm 121. David was singing that. He probably sang it in the morning. I was probably singing it in the afternoon and in the evening. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. You know, this type of thing. You're supposed to sing. You're supposed to intercede, make your request, get the word of God in the morning. Psalm 92 says, It is good to praise the Lord and to make music to your name, almost high, to proclaim your love in the morning. Now, how do you exactly do that? You know, when you get up and it's a little bit later in the morning, you tell of God's goodness to others who are around you. You are supposed to be, we are supposed to be a walking, living example 
of what it is to follow Christ. We are little Christs. We are called Christians. We are to pick up our cross daily and follow after him. This is God's word. Ezekiel had the word of God come to him in the morning. Ezekiel chapter 12 verse 8. In the morning the word of the Lord came to me. In other words, he was up. He was expecting God to speak to him. Pentecost took place before 9 a.m. in the morning. It says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. So you see, the church began in the morning. And it was before this time because they were just praising God and then tongues of fire come over their heads and they start speaking these different languages. They went out into the crowd and people got saved all before 9 o'clock in the morning. They thought they were drunk, but they weren't. They were filled with the Spirit of God. Now, with this, I'm going to give you a personal example. Concerning Cambodia and going to Cambodia, you know, before I would pray, God... You know, you want me to go to Cambodia? You want me to do that? You want to get the church involved in going to Cambodia? What's your will on this? And I wouldn't really hear anything. I just, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to open this door. I would grab the door just like one of the back doors there. And I would just push it open. I wouldn't go at it with full force and try to break it down. I would just push it. Okay, well, it looks like he's allowing me to open the door. So I'm going to go. God, do you want anybody else to go? Well, I... I push on that door and I go wow it's an open door okay he wants other people to go and so now other people from the church are going and it and it's great and it's a blessing to everybody the ladies are getting involved in making those uh glass things for the um the glasses the little covers that's great that you ladies are doing that and and so you know I'm asking the Lord all along I, I try to get up and I meet with him and make my request well this last week there there has come an opportunity to go in December Again, December 28th through January 8th. And so I, I just got up and I said, I, I was sitting actually at the desk in here and it was early in the morning. I'm just going, Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, I have been now, this is my third trip that I just went on. Do you want me to go again? I said, Lord, just let me know. Just show me. If you want me to go. Now, I was taught when I was discipled, this one guy in particular, his name is Jeff. He is the one that's primarily responsible for discipling me. He took me to the side. He took me under his wing, so to speak, and he showed me everything that he could for the time that he was with me. And another pastor, Pastor Mike from Calvary Chapel, Julian, you know, he'd come up and he would see me. He goes, you're going to start a church, huh? I said, well, I think the Lord wants us to. And he goes, he hands his Bible or he takes his Bible, he extends it out to me, and he goes, show me a verse. <laughs> Whoa, that's a challenge. And I had one. And I gave him a verse, and I showed him what it was, and he goes, okay, man, we're good. And he walked away, and that was the end of it. So Jeff, he would also do this. We'd get up in the morning. We'd go run sometimes three miles early in the morning, and we'd talk about the Lord. And he goes, you know, let's see what the Lord has to say about that. And he'd sit there, and he'd just meditate and ask the Lord for a minute. He goes, Lord, do you have a verse? that maybe will help us as we decide what we're going to do with our day. And he'd had something come to mind, and he'd flip through, and sometimes it wouldn't apply. 
You know, well, that didn't work very well. You know, I'm, I'm learning all this stuff. And, and then sometimes the Lord would just nail it. I mean, he would just go, boom, this is it. And we would do this early in the morning. And so I'm sitting at the desk this last week, and I'm going, God, you know, I'm just asking you. I'm inquiring of you. Do you want me to go in December? And so I'm sitting there, and I remember Jeff, and I remember Mike. And I go, okay, Lord, is there a verse you want to give to me? And this verse comes to mind. And I'm thinking to myself, as it's coming to mind, it's probably going to be a verse like Judas went and hung himself, you know. (laughs) And that's where I'm going to turn, someplace like that. And so I get this verse, and I'm going to show it to you. 2 Samuel, open up there in your Bibles to 2 Samuel. And so I'm asking the Lord, and this verse, it comes to me. First, I get the book. I go, okay. Then I get the chapter. It's chapter 2. And so I open up 2 Samuel chapter 2. And I haven't opened up anything yet. I'm just going, okay. And then I just get this feeling, impression, verse 1. And it says... In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of these towns in Judah? He asked. The Lord said, Go up. I read that and I go, I think the Lord answered me. I think I'm supposed to go. And God can speak to us like that. He wants to speak to us. Now, you may look at that and go, that doesn't mean anything to me. He was talking. It's not supposed to be for anyone else. But for me, as I was sitting there, I got this chill go up my spine. I go, ooh, God was speaking, you know. And I, I just wanted to pay attention. Is there anything else? And I give the verse to Patty later. And she says, well, did you read on? <laughs> What does it say? Somebody want to read verse 2? Go ahead, Betty. Yeah. And so Patty goes, you're supposed to take me too. And I said, well, who's the other wife? You know, who am I supposed to take? And of course, she didn't want to go that far, you know. So I said, the Lord only gave me verse 1. You know, I want to make sure we're not going beyond what he has given to me. And so, you know, with that, I'm going, wow, I, I now have a direction. The Lord did that when we started the church too. And it's not often. And sometimes when I do that, I open up the scripture and I go, what? First didn't apply. You know, so the Lord wasn't really a- answering my request. But I believe on this time, he answered my request. And so I've already booked. I'm going. And no matter what the cost is, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the cost is always a concern, but I'm not supposed to worry about that. If the Lord says, go, go. Now, bring all this together. The Lord was speaking to the Israelites. 
He was telling them, look, I am here. I am wanting to bless you guys, but you keep on grumbling. I'm giving you all of these blessings. I'm preserving your life. And maybe you have three days without water. You had some with you, but you got to get some new water. But you're not trusting. And God wants us to trust him. He wants us to be close to him. He wants us to bless him. He wants him, He wants for himself to bless us. He wants that relationship to flourish. But the only time that seems conducive for that is the morning. You get up in the morning, get out of bed, seek after the Lord, sing to him, make your request, intercede for him, do everything that you know you're supposed to do as a believer in Christ and do it alone. And as you do that, you will have these times of refreshing where God will speak to you. It won't be every single morning. God doesn't work like that because he wants us to trust a lot. But every once in a while, you will get this gold nugget. Every once in a while, you will hear his voice. Every once in a while, you will have such clear direction. It is unmistakable. And God wants us to have that. He wants us to trust him. And he gives us just enough to where we will keep on pursuing him. You're looking after that voice of God. You're looking after his blessing. You're looking after what he has for you. And if you're absolutely surrendered in a trip like Cambodia, if it doesn't surrender you to God, it will break you. And you, you just give everything to God and you're trusting totally in him. That's what God wants from all of us. God wants us to just trust in him. He has our best intentions in mind. He wants to make sure we are flourishing. Even though we may be going through a trial inside spiritually, we will be flourishing. And so that's the example this morning that you should walk away with is this idea of don't grumble. Trust in the Lord. Seek after him. Do so in the morning, and he will bless. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the examples in Scripture here. We pray that we'd be able to use them. And we know that that it would be for our benefit, but not only for ours alone. For everything that you did was for our benefit. You withhold nothing from us. You are going to give us, you have given us your spirit. You're going to give us eternal life. You are going to give us heaven. You're going to share your seat with us and help us, Lord, to operate in a spirit of gratitude and not one of grumbling. And if we don't hear your voice for a long time, help us just to trust. Help us not to complain. When things are going rough, help us, Lord, to sit at your feet and wait on you. And with your help, we'll do it. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen.